Morning, church. How are you? We are, like, really tired this morning, it feels like. We need to do the Lord's Supper with Red Bull or something, like, take the body and the juice. <laughs> that might be sacrilegious. I don't know. It wasn't intended to be. I was just trying to wake you up a little bit. I think we're all kind of bummed out because of the events of yesterday. That's what I feel like everyone, even God, is raining down on our state. <laughs> And weeping, and I get it. it. We started out so good, right? Quick score, and then we couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop them, and then we made it really close at the end, and then lost. But and it's always the worst to lose to them, right? I hate losing to Iowa State. I can't stand it. <laughs> That's a football joke. <laughs> I went to Oklahoma State. I'm a proud cowboy. I. Uh, my wife went to OU, and luckily, she can't stand sports, um, and that's how God made us for each other. People are like, how did you know? And I was like, that's how I knew. She didn't care. But I, I'm a high school football coach. I coach at a, a school in Yukon. We're a small private school in Yukon, and we play Class C football. And so that means I go to towns that you've never heard of in this state. And the, our closest game is like an hour and a half away because that's the only place you can find schools small enough that we can play. And I go to towns like Duke, Oklahoma. Have you ever heard of Duke, Oklahoma? Someone out there? You've heard of Duke, Oklahoma? Right on. Granfield, Oklahoma, Tipton. We go to Welch. That's about three and a half hours away. I'd rather play in Dallas. And the towns we go to, um, you get there, right? You're just on a two-lane highway for like an hour and a half, and all of a sudden there's lights in a field. And you're like, oh, that's where we play. And you couldn't, you couldn't find it. You're out there, and you feel like you're in a giant. The lights come on. You're in a giant black box. Like there's nothing anywhere and it's like every place we go to like our locker rooms are like you got to walk down like fields and there's this shed and it feels like children of the corn and it's like this is it this is where I go to die like every single week and I remember a couple years ago we were playing a team and they were just really beating us I mean taking it to us and uh it's the fourth quarter they're all playing uh you know watch me whip, and they're all dancing over there. The whole town's dancing, and our boys are like, you know, and it's, there's like three minutes left. I was like, hey, boys, keep your heads up. You know, let's finish the game. Finish, finish well, finish well. And, and one of my guys looks at me and goes, coach, you know, no matter what happens these next three minutes, even if we lose this game, when we get on that bus and leave, we win. We win. And I was like, I was like yeah, yeah. He's like, because we don't have to stay here. We don't have to stay <laughs> And I was like, you know, you're kind of right. I mean, these towns, you, you would never know. They're full of some incredible people. But I walk and I'm like, this has to be like 85% witness protection because nobody would ever be found in these places that we go. And, and my boys get stressed. Or like, as soon as we see Devon Tower, we feel better. We feel better. And the guys are like, isn't it cool to see the towns come alive on a Friday night? And I'm like, yeah, but think about Tuesday. What's happening Tuesday night? And they're like, nothing. Like, they only come alive. It's crazy, but... Uh, we, we had a big game Friday night, and we pulled out a W. We're 6-0, in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, um, on our way. And uh, so I didn't watch anything yesterday. I was feeling too good, and I was like, I can't be brought down by things I can't control. And so celebrating that, feeling good this morning. Are you ready to go? Are you? I need some energy this morning. I'm having to hold a microphone. Things are off, a little different. It's been a while since I've been up here with you. I need you with me. Are you ready? You ready? Hey, let's get after it. Lord Jesus, I pray for this time that you would speak loudly and clearly now, that you would engage us with energy that comes from you. Despite the rain and despite the uh, losses we took yesterday on the football field, despite everything else going on, Lord, would you speak loudly and clearly through your word? We're so thankful for it. Thank you for this time together to gather as a church. 
I pray for all the other churches gathering in this city right now, Lord, that you would speak loudly and clearly to them, that we would come together in unity to advance the kingdom any way we can. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, we are in week 78 of our series. That's a lie, but the real number is 21. We are in week 21 of our series on Jesus, and we're going to talk like three or four weeks, and we're like, you know, I think we still have a couple more weeks of things to say about him, but we should be done in just a few weeks. Um, We'll cover everything about Jesus. (sighs) Not really, Um, but we are in week 21. If you've missed any of it, we've talked about basically everything we can think about, right? We started talking about his message. We started talking about his ministry, the things that he came to say, the things that he was doing. We talked about encounters that people have had with Jesus. We talked about, uh, and now we're in the midst of talking about some pointed statements that Jesus made. And Tim began this last week with a statement that he came and he said, repent. And we looked about what that was and that victory that comes from repentance. That's not this thing like, oh, you're a sinner and you're a horrible, horrible, horrible person. This is not the Jesus that we serve. It is not the one that is up there keeping a list of everything that you've done wrong this morning. I mean, like, uh, 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 Caleb, you made a joke about Red Bull and it was wine. Um, it's not how it works. Um, this morning, we're going to look at another statement and um, we're going to dive into that, and that's found in the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. If you've got a phone, you can um, open that up or whatever else you want to do, okay? Uh, Acts, chapter 1. Let's look at uh, verse 6 to start. Verse 6 and 7, I'm just going to read that. It won't be on the screen, but the other part will. It says, so when they met together, they asked him, him being Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Um, Again, Jesus had done a lot of things, and now they are expecting him to go ahead and finish what he had started. And Jesus' answer to them was he said to them, It is not for you, turn two pages instead of one, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love this kind of moment. It's like this disciple still kind of not totally getting that he's God and they're not. They're like, hey, are you do this right now? And he's like, hey, that's not up to you, which is like the worst thing for people who like to know what's coming next. Any people out there, like you like to make a plan and do you, any of you out there already know what your entire day looks like tomorrow? Any hands? Can I see you? Yeah. Are you people like, I know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. And then Jesus is like, hey, you don't need to know. That's just up to God. Whatever I decide to happen, happen. I'm like, okay, that's a great verse, but I'm still going to get out my calendar and make sure I know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow at eight, nine, 10 and 11. Like that doesn't matter. There's a reason Jesus did this, and there's lots of things we can say about this, but he follows this statement up with this, and this is the statement I want to look at this morning, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, this part's really important because power was a really big deal to these disciples at this time, right? Whoever was in power affected everything they did in their lives. You know, we elect presidents and officials and governors and city council people, and it might change our lives a marginal bit. But for these people who are... Jesus is speaking to, whoever was in power changed everything about everything for them. And Jesus says, their power no longer matters. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, power to do things that only you could do through me. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. And then he gives this statement. This is where we're going to hang out this morning. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this statement that Jesus gives, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My favorite thing about this statement, and the reason I call it a pointed statement, is there was was no request in this statement, was there? It wasn't a request. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a, could you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, 
Samaria, into the ends of the earth. It wasn't, hey, you know what you guys should do next? And if you're wondering what to do tomorrow, if your 8 a.m. is open, um, you should be my witnesses tomorrow. It would not be a good, just consider it. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. This is not how this statement was made. This was a pointed, direct statement from Jesus. It says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And why wouldn't this be the way he worded it? Why wouldn't it be? You see, it was just expected that when you encountered the things of Jesus, naturally you're going to talk about them, right? This is what happens all through the New Testament. Every time somebody encounters Jesus in the New Testament, this happens. Let me give you some examples. Matthew 4, verse 24, there's a verse that says, and the news spread, this is right after Jesus began his ministry, and the news immediately spread over all of Samaria, all of it. The things that Jesus was doing, people were taking notice, and they began talking about them. And the news about what he was doing spread over all Samaria because people were talking about the things that Jesus was doing. In Mark chapter 1, verse 45, there's a man who is covered in leprosy. Jesus heals him. And, he, and even though Jesus is like, hey, what I'm doing uh, happens on a day you're not supposed to do things. So if you could just not really tell anyone. He's like, okay, well, I just had leprosy and now I don't. So I'm going to go tell everyone. And that's exactly what he did. He goes and he tells everyone about what Jesus had just done. If you skip forward to Mark chapter 5, verse 19, there is a man who is possessed by demons. Crazy story. Like, sometimes I read the Bible, and people are like, I really read the Bible, it's not that interesting. And I was like, then you're reading the wrong book. Like, like you need to pick up the book. This guy is literally possessed by demons and saying these crazy things and doing these crazy things. And Jesus is like, hey, not anymore. Cast him out. And he's like, what do I do? And Jesus goes, you should probably go tell your family. You know, the family who you, like, freaked out and made you go live out there? You can go tell them now. And so the guy goes home, right, and he tells his family, hey, I encountered Jesus, and see, I'm not the same anymore. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, because like one of the, of course this happens, in Mark chapter 7, verse 36, there is a man who is deaf and mute, and Jesus encounters him, and he heals him. So the deaf and mute man begins to tell everyone about what had just happened, because here is a man who couldn't tell anybody anything. And he begins to tell anyone who could hear, because he's like, do you know how lucky you are that you can actually hear me speak? Hear anybody speak. You have ears to hear and a mouth that can talk. So why are you talking and listening to anything other than the things about Jesus? Why? It was so natural that, of course, the thing I'm going to do is to listen and talk about the things of Jesus. This is why even Jesus, when he gives his great commission, right? He said, you're going to go and tell everyone in all the places about Jesus, and you're going to baptize them, make the disciples. That's how he ended his whole ministry, right? You're going to go, and you're going to tell people. This is why it wasn't a suggestion. So I want to look at this commission. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and me on October, what is today, the 7th? Is that right? October 7th? I have the wrong watch face up. I don't have the date. October 7th, 2018. What does it mean for you and me to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Let's just look at each one, shall we? You ready? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, yeah you are. I like to say, we can have fun in church. That's okay, you know. You don't have to sit there. I'm not like, let's talk about your sin. Okay. Um, what does it mean? You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Think about Jesus' life in Jerusalem. Now, what always floors me is there is a verse right before Jesus heals these, a group of lepers. Um, there's a line in the Bible that struck me, unlike maybe any other line in the Bible I've ever had. It says, Jesus, comma, now on his way to Jerusalem, comma, was walking on the road when he encountered a group of lepers. Now, lepers, not leopards. That's a, that's, I'm, <laughs> don't go home and say Jesus healed leopards. Um, I would definitely never be asked to do this again. So 
he encounters a group of lepers. Now, this story is so incredible because Jesus one day woke up and decided he himself would march himself to Jerusalem for you and for me and to die on the cross. That's insane. He could have just avoided it altogether, but he didn't. One day Jesus woke up and decided, okay, now's the day I go take care of everything that Caleb's going to do wrong. That's insane. Jesus, now on his way to Jerusalem. Think about the things that Jesus did in Jerusalem, right? He rode in Jerusalem on a what? A donkey, right? And they waved, Hosanna, Hosanna, here he is, Hosanna. And a few days later, the same crowd would shout what? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jerusalem is a very, very big deal to Jesus. He walks into Jerusalem, right? He cleared the temple. Here's a story that I would love to get to talk about. We need to do this sometime. Jesus walks in the temple, and they are doing everything they shouldn't do, and he's just like, mm-mm, not okay. And we're always like, here's this. Jesus is walking. He's like, oh, bring the little children to me. Let me heal you. Oh, you can't see? Here. Oh, so much. This is how we picture Jesus, right? But Jesus walks in the temple, and he's like, hey, guys, what's? Ooh, uh-uh. And he just clears the place out right? He's flipping tables, driving people out, throwing them out of the temple. Like, that's the Jesus that I'm like, I want to get to heaven and be like, show me that guy. Show me that guy. And he's going to be like, just leave me alone. Like, like um, he clears the temple out, right? He performs miracles in Jerusalem. He performs some crazy things. Like, you know, Peter cuts a dude's ear off, and he's like, hey, I got it. And then they're like, who is he? He's like, I am. And they all fall over. Jesus did some incredible miracles in Jerusalem, he had one of the most intimate moments that he had in his entire life in Jerusalem, right? At the Last Supper, he broke bread and drank wine with his disciples. And you know what's so crazy is that Jesus was a servant up until the very end, wasn't he? Because in that very night, he gets out a bowl of water and a cloth, and he says, here, let me wash your feet. See, the people closest to him, he decided to serve in those moments in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the place that Jesus was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified and he conquered sin and death in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was very, very important to the life of Jesus. Many of his biggest events and most intimate things happened in Jerusalem. So what would our Jerusalem be? Or our Jerusalem would be where the most intimate, most important things happen in our lives. That would be your family. That would be your friends. So how do we read this? We are called to be witnesses in Jerusalem to your family and your friends. You know, I feel like those are the people who often get our last, don't they? They get our leftovers. I'm going to go and be about the things of this. So many times, my wife and my children, they get the leftovers. And you know what I should be doing? I'm called as a husband to serve my wife's heart first. That's what I'm called to do. I should be getting in my car when I get home at the end of the day and praying that God gives me strength to get on my hands and my knees and play trucks with my kids until they don't want to play trucks anymore. You know, a bored man is a dangerous man. I don't want that in my life. I don't want my family to have leftovers. I should be the ones serving their hearts and going and saying, hey, here's what God is speaking to me today. And I need to be sharing that with the people who are closest, my family and my closest friends. When's the last time you had a conversation just because the Lord was speaking to you and you said, I've got to share this. I've got to be his witness to my Jerusalem, my family, my friends. Here's what God's doing in my life. I want every night when I, when I lay with my daughter, because she won't go to sleep unless I do, I lay with my daughter and say, hey, I love to say, hey, let's pray together. And I love to hear her pray. And I love to pray with her. And sometimes I pray, like this week I was praying, God, use me on Sunday. God, give me the words to say, remove Caleb and let you speak. I want her to hear those things. Because isn't it crazy? Do you all know that person that the people, because here's the truth, the people who know you the best should like you the most. But you all know that person who the people that know them best are the people who like them the least. And the people who know those people the least, they're the ones like, oh, I really like that guy. And you're like, well, do you know him? Because you wouldn't. 
But the truth is, your heart, we should be people that Jesus should be on our lips, right? We're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem to our family and our friends. The people who know us the most, they should like us the best. It shouldn't be the other way around. And that would happen, I pray that if people really know Caleb, the thing to think about Caleb is that, that they would know that my heart yearns and aches for the things of Jesus. That I'm going to live, die, be buried, and be forgotten, and the name of Jesus might be known a little bit more because I existed. That's what matters. That's what being his witnesses in Jerusalem means. The people that know you the most, the people that know you the most, they should like you the best because you are spending your effort, your time, your energy, and your words telling them about the things that Jesus has done, is doing, and the things you're confident because we have this book that he will do. He will make all things new, and we know that. What are we talking about? What are we spending our breath on with the people who are closest to us? You're called to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. You're called to be his witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea. Judea was a big area, right? Jerusalem, Bethlehem, all this area that Jesus did a lot of ministry in, did a lot of living in, and we are called to be Judea. What would that be for us? What's your Judea? That would be your city, right? Your Oklahoma City, Edmond, Midwest City, Yukon, Mustang. You're called to be witnesses there. It's your job, okay? So if you work an eight-hour day, you work five hours a day, you're going to be, I wrote this down, I'm not good at math, you are going to be at work for 2,080 hours this year. Shouldn't Jesus be involved with some of those? Some of them? No, I'm not saying you've got to walk into work tomorrow and be like, let me tell you about Genesis chapter 3. Let me tell you, that ain't going to work. Never, none of them is going to be like, ooh, let me sit down. I can't wait to hear this. That's not going to happen. But he's got to be on our lips when we go into work. Shouldn't he? I mean, here's a thought. My dad gave me this thought the other day. On his last day in the oil field, a bunch of people got laid off. In 1995, got laid off. And the last thing he did, email, was brand new. I was like, ooh, Windows 95. And he was like, yeah, it was crazy. He, he said, I, I said, my last thing I did at work, I knew I was getting, I was getting laid off anyways. I sent a company-wide email with the gospel on it. And he goes, because I never wanted to think that somebody there didn't hear the gospel. I wasn't okay with that. Now, I'm not saying you got to walk up and down the halls every day just giving people the gospel and doing like this, but I am saying that Jesus ought to be on our lips at work, in your community, in your city, at your school, in your tribe. People like-minded, trying to conquer things together, living that thing. Jesus should be on our lips. Why? Now, and what do I mean by this? What's really important here is what am I talking about when I'm telling you be your witnesses? Because that's a real churchy word, right? Am I talking about conversion? Is that the goal? Like, I'm going to be his witness if it's a conversion. Yes, I am. Obviously, my prayer is that many people at your job, at your school, at your community, in our city, would come to put their trust in Jesus and to make him Lord of their lives. Yes, that's always our heartbeat. Always going to be the goal. That people's not just lives would be changed, but their eternities would be changed forever. Of course, that is the goal. But it isn't just conversion. Do you know why it's so important? that we don't keep our faith in our pocket. Do you know why it's so important that Jesus is on our lips and instead of our pocket? Because I could kill the mood in this room right now real easily. Do you want to see me do it? Yes, please. I could just squash the mood in this room. I could just kill it. I could just stop preaching right now, which some of you are like, yeah, come on. Um, I could just take this mic and walk up and down the room, start here, 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 and I could say, let's just take prayer requests. Let's just take prayer requests. 
And you'd feel real quick why it's important that we have Jesus on our lips in Judea. Do you know what's in this room right now? There are people who are sitting on your row or in the row in front of you or behind you who they themselves or somebody they really love has a horrible diagnosis, is suffering from cancer. Somebody they love or they themselves is suffering from some medical ailment and they feel completely lost and abandoned in it. And they are scared. That's in this room right now. There are people in this room who right now, they themselves or somebody that they really love has walked through a marriage that has completely fallen apart. Are walking right now through a marriage that is hurting and suffering or a relationship that's fallen apart where they are hurt. That's in the room, in the seat, next to you, in front of you, and behind you. People who are struggling in that area right now. That's in this room, in this moment. There are people in this room who have, this is, this, is, this is the craziest thing, and you wouldn't believe it how many times I've heard this, that have never actually felt love and acceptance from their parents, ever. People in this room, or people in this room who have people they actually love that have never felt that in this room. There are people in this room who are experiencing actual, real, financial suffering, scariness, and needs. That's in this room right now. There are fears and anxieties in this room that people need. There are people in this room who right now, either you yourself or you know someone you really love that have been so hurt by somebody, you find it hard to trust anybody ever again. And even though you may seem it on the outside, you are an extremely lonely person because you can't trust anybody. That's what's in this room right now. There are people in this room who either you yourself or somebody you love has experienced unspeakable loss and death recently, and they feel lost and hopeless. Just this week, my dad had to do a funeral for a kid who was working downtown and died. He was 23, and he dropped dead. 23, and my dad went to that home and said, I heard aching and and mourning like I haven't heard in my whole life. If that's true of anybody in this room, if anything I maybe have just said, you're walking through something like that, or somebody you know and love is walking through it right now and hurting. Would you just raise your hand right in this room? Somebody you love, somebody you know is walking through something that could use prayer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's about all of us. Do you see why we have to be witnesses in Judea? Do you see why we keep Jesus not in our pocket, but on our lips? Because you know what happens when Jesus is on your lips? When people are walking through it, and they're suffering, and they're experiencing illness, and they're experiencing heartache, or they're experiencing fears and anxiety about the future, and they feel uncertain when they're experiencing these things, they think because, oh, I know that person loves God. They might care about things that matter, and they might think my problems matter. So guess who they're going to talk to? You. Because Jesus is on your lips instead of in your pocket. Because we're not going at them with agenda. We just know that we love God and God loves people and they're people that God made. And they might think that even though they're not believers, you might care enough to think and maybe say a prayer for me. Tell me there's not anybody in your life that doesn't need prayer. Are you kidding me? This is why we're called to be witnesses in Judea. This is the reason why. I served as a corporate chaplain for a while. I would go to businesses. They were, none of them were Christian organizations. And all my job was to walk around and say, hey, how are you? How are things? And 99.9% of the time people said, fine. And every now and then they'd say, hey, how are you? And they'd pull me into their office and they'd just, here's everything that's falling apart. 
not because I was trying to convert them to Christianity, but because they knew that I loved God and that might mean that their problems mattered to me. If you would just be willing to have Jesus on your lips, people when they're walking through it will be drawn to you because they think that you might care about things that matter. And in their worst moments, when they're actually walking through garbage, they might matter to you. And isn't that the truth? That people should matter to us. That's why we have Jesus on our lips in Judea. You'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. And this is the worst one. You'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea in Samaria. This one's hard. So I got a story from the Bible because I don't have any for myself. <laughs> the Samaritans were considered a land, a wasteland of impure half-breeds. That's what they thought of them. They were the people that, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he said, okay, now, who can't you stand? Who's the Texas fan you got to talk to tomorrow? Who's the outspoken Republican on Facebook? Who's the outspoken Democrat on Facebook posting every article? Who's the outspoken moderate that is just on the fence? Who's the loud talker at work? Gosh. Who's the chewer every conversation? Stop crunching. I'm going to lose my mind. Who's the one that does the fork bite every time you're out to eat? <laughs> Can't stand it. The mid-chew drink. Finish first. <laughs> Who can't you stand? Who's the person that really, really hurt you? Like, really hurt you? Who's the family member you don't want to talk to? Who's that person that actually, and it was their fault, wronged you? They, they wronged you. It's not just your perspective. They did something that really, really wronged you. You're called to be his witnesses in Samaria. Now, my person, this is a conversation that happens sometimes. Um, if I were like anybody in the Bible, I would love to say, yeah, I'm most like Paul. You know, I, I was a, you know, not a very good guy, but the Lord came to me, and now I'm just doing everything incredible. But this is not the case. The closest I am to Paul is short and balding. Um, that's as close as I get to Paul. I'd love to say I'm like Peter, right? A guy who doesn't have it all together, but you know, he's still like the father of the church. That's pretty cool. Um, but this is not the case. If I'm most like anybody in the Bible, I'm most like Jonah. This is who I'm most like. It's probably my favorite book of the Bible because this is who I would relate to the most. I want to look at the life of Jonah here because I would love to tell you that I've solved the Samaria thing, but I'll let Jonah do it for me. Jonah Chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. I'm behind on my notes. I'm so lost. Son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh, a massive, massive evil city. The most evil city that there maybe has ever been that wasn't wiped out. 
a city where the practice, I mean, there the, uh, a historian describes walking through the streets of Nineveh, and as he would walk, they said the blood ran thick on the streets that if you were to walk in the streets, it would splash on your legs. That's the city of Nineveh, full of child sacrifice, full of rape, full of murder, full of everything you can imagine, the most evil thing in the world, like, like the, trying to think of the thing that you just cannot stand. It's 1930s Germany wrapped up with everything that ISIS has been doing times whatever you can imagine. The most evil place in all the world. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go there and, and tell them. Their wickedness has rose up against me and tell them to turn from their ways. Jonah, being a man after my own heart, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, I love the details of the Bible, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now Tarshish is in southern Spain. Not a bad place to go. I can go to Nineveh, where the blood and the, the child and the murders and the, uh, or I can go sip my ties in southern Spain. What is Jonah going to choose? He's like, that's a good idea, but I think I'll go there. And so Jonah hops the boat, right, and he heads for Tarshish. You all know the story, right? You know the story where this uh, big storm happens and the ship is rocking back and forth and the sailors are like, what are we going to do? And Jonah's like, this is probably my fault. Um, God told me something, like the God who did all this. Um, and I didn't do it. So, and they're like, well, what are you going to do? And, and they're thinking about what to do. And Jonah, and this is my interpretation. My dad and I have a little different, but it's fun to um, argue about things that don't matter. Um, Jonah stands on the side of the boat and he's like, throw me in the water and the storm will stop. Your lives will be spared. Now, I don't look at this as a humble moment from Jonah. I view this as Jonah saying, okay, God, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'd rather die than go do what you told me to do. I would rather die than go to those people who do, who do those things. So throw me in the water. And it's one last no to God. God says, go to Samaria. And he says, no. And he throws himself in the water. You know what happens, right? A big fish comes along and gloop. You all know the songs, you know, and he's chilling in the fish. And he says a prayer of thanksgiving, which I still cannot figure out why he prayed that way. Um, but he prays that way. And then the fish vomits him up on dry land. And then Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Boom. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Just So when you get vomited up by a fish, you listen. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim it to the mess and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Yeah, you bet he did. <laughs> obeyed the word of the Lord and went to the city of Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah walks to the city of Nineveh, proclaiming, Hey, you guys are doing things the wrong way. Stop killing those people. Stop hurting those people. And something happens. The people listen. The leaders listen. They go and ask for forgiveness. They repent. In verse 10, throw this up there, Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Jonah chapter 3 is the greatest revival in the history of the world. The greatest revival. It's as if ISIS was still at its height and they just decided to start worshiping Jesus. 
because one person said, I'm not going to hate them. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to proclaim to them the news of Jesus. It's as if that one person didn't call them them anymore. They realize that Jesus just sees us as we. It's as if ISIS, their 1930s journey, just said, no, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, that's cool in theory, right? But remember that person who you can't stand. That person who really, really hurt you. That really wronged you. We don't always want to see that part, do we? We are so much like Jonah. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. You see, they didn't get what they deserved. They're still murderers. They're still rapists. They still are killing kids. They're still doing all these things. And that's, they're the people who did those things in Nineveh. And now they're praising God. Stop praising my God. You don't deserve my God. Am I alone? Have you ever felt this way? But Jonah seemed very, so this seemed very wrong to Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? He's like, this is why I didn't want to come here. It's not that I was afraid of Nineveh. I knew you would do this. He says, that is what I tried to, uh, to foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. What's, what? Quite an accusation there, Jonah. Um, you are abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Here he is again. I knew you would forgive them. I knew you would give them grace. I knew that you would show mercy. I knew you would offer salvation. And I don't want them to have it. They don't deserve it. We've got to be so quick about we think what people deserve. Am I right? And look at the Lord's response to Jonah. It's just so perfect. Shocker there. He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also their many animals? He says, should I not be concerned for the people of Nineveh, Jonah? Obviously, I'm concerned. Listen, God is greatly concerned with the people you can't stand. God is greatly burdened for the person that really hurt you. God is greatly concerned for Republicans and Democrats. God is greatly concerned for our current president and our last one. He is greatly concerned. He sent his kid to die for them. You're to be his witnesses in Samaria. God is concerned for the church, the people who are in church today, and for the ones who are not, who are hungover right now. He's concerned for them. He aches for them, just like he aches for you. He's concerned with the warlords in Africa and the pastors in Africa. He's concerned for them. He's concerned with those in Russia and those in Great Britain and those in Sweden and those in Argentina. He is concerned and burdened for them. Whether you like them or not, you are to be his witnesses in Samaria. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love how Paul finishes his letters. Like one of the last things that Paul writes to us, right? He says, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. 
and I have finished the race. He says, I have finished. When I see this, what does it mean to be witnesses to the ends of the earth? I mean until your final breath. That's what I mean. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was coaching football with my old high school football coach. And he's the one who actually got me to come start. He's a, still a teacher there. And uh, he taught math, which I was terrible at. So um, we always had good laughs about that. He always says, I'm the only one who got 100 and a 0 on the same day. That made me feel really good. Um, we were coaching together. And he kept complaining about his back. And he was still a relatively young man. Uh, he started complaining about his back the whole, the whole season. He'd have to sit down and stuff like that. And sure enough, he uh, went to the doctor. And um, he had cancer metastasized to his back. And it hit him hard and fast. Um, he got tested. He got a diagnosis in October. And I believe he was gone by, I want to say, February. Yeah. Um, it hit him hard and just wiped him out. He had to obviously stop teaching in the middle of the year. Um, anchor of our school. Had been there 20 years. Anchor of the school. And right before he passed away, he made a video. And... Um, it was Dom White sitting in this chair, Coach White, and he had to, he had to have an eye patch on um, because he had such the medicine and everything they were trying to do made his vision double. And he said to me when the last time I saw him, I don't know how you do this one eye thing. And I was like, well, I don't have a choice. Um, and he was sharing, and he made a video for the students, and he gave them just some wisdom from his life. He encouraged them with just some encouraging words. And then he ended the video this way. He said, uh, a terminal illness will really make you think about things. And I was like, well, coach, I would imagine. But he made this video and he said, a terminal illness will really make you think about things. And he went on to say the things that he was thinking about. And the video ended just like this, word for word. I want to make sure I get it right. He says, my prayer is that I get to greet each and every one of you and your families as you enter heaven. That's my prayer for you. And the video ended. Now, I spoke at his funeral, and uh, what I said of Don White, and what I will continue to say, is that uh, I read a verse, um, and the verse says, and he was a good man, full of faith, and a great number of people came to know the Lord. Um, not many of us will get to choose the last words we say to people. That is not how it usually works. We don't get to choose the last words we speak to people. However, if I do, I pray my last words are pointing people to Jesus, as Don's were. Saying, I pray I get to greet you and your families in heaven. Until your final breath, church, we point people to a risen Savior that can change everything about everything. That's the commission given to us. It was not a request. It was not a suggestion. We are to be his witnesses because we have seen what he has done, what he is doing, and we are confident that he, of what he will do, he will make all things new. Until your final breath point people to Jesus you are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and into the ends of the earth 
until he calls us home. He should be on our lips. My prayer for you this week is that you would be his witness. You would be his witness for those that know you the most. They should like you the best. For those that know you the most, they shouldn't get your leftovers. They should get your best. Those are the ones you should be sharing. Here's what God's, I don't know what he's saying to me right now, but he's saying something. I need your wisdom. Will you pray for me? Talk with me. Walk with me. You should be his witnesses. You should be his witnesses to those who are walking through it. Because when your witnesses in Judea, when they're walking through it, they're going to turn to you because they know you care about things that matter. So they might matter to you. Shouldn't we be his witnesses in Judea? My prayer is that you would be his witness to the people that you can't stand. That you think don't deserve it because isn't God concerned for them? If he's concerned for me, then that's enough. I ought to be concerned for them. And until we take our last breath, friends, that could be 50 years from now and it could be tonight. So I don't want to waste my breath telling any other stories. I want Jesus to be on our lips. My prayer is that we would be his witnesses, church, as he called us to be. And a great number of people will come to know the Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray for our church. I pray that we will walk out of this room a little bit differently in the way we walked in. I pray that through your encouragement, through your word that gives us wisdom, that we would have enough energy to give those who know us the most, our Jerusalem, we would have the energy to give them our best, that we would serve the hearts of those who are closest to us. We would bear your witnesses. God, for those at our work, our community, our school, our jobs, God, that we would be the witnesses so that when they walk through it, they know we care and they can come to us because we care about things that matter and they matter to us because they matter to you. May we be your witnesses in Judea. God, for those who have wronged us, who have hurt us, who we think don't deserve it. God, may we understand that, of course, you are concerned for them as you are concerned for us. So may our hearts ache and yearn for those who you are concerned for. Jesus, may we be your witnesses in Samaria. And God, until we take our final breath, may you be on our lips. May we never stop pointing to Jesus. And if we are so granted the blessing of choosing our last words, may they be pointing people to a resurrected Savior that could change everything about everything, Jesus. May that be true of us. And may we worship you now with passion and energy to walk out of this room and engage the community around us with Jesus on our lips. May you fire us up, Jesus, to encounter the world around us. We ask this in your holy, holy name.